You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. To analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au because of the continuing stage four lockdown in Melbourne from which this program usually comes. This is a freeway conversation between myself who's broadcasting outside the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, 3CR in Melbourne, community radio satellite. So obviously there may be some technical issues during the program, so we apologise beforehand, but uh, during this difficult period we have been able to continue to broadcast live, which is what community radio is all about. So if you wonder what Anarchy is all about, Anarchy Society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society which is based on creation of political and social structures, which are based on equal decision-making power, where wealth is held in common. It's a very simple concept based on the meaning of the word anarchos, which means without rulers. So how do you create a society without rulers? Obviously, you create a society without rulers by decentralising power and sharing wealth, because it's inequalities in power and wealth which give rulers, whether they're elected or self-appointed, the ability to determine the lives of billions of people on this planet. It's never enough, is it? Emergency powers are never enough. Now, I spoke, I think, about two weeks ago, about or last week, about what was actually happening in Melbourne and Victoria regarding the stage four lockdowns. And a lot of people kind of think, oh, well, it's just a tin hat brigade. Let's not worry about them. I mean, they, don't, they think COVID-19's a hoax. Like I said before, COVID-19's real. I'm a great supporter of vaccination, social distancing, washing your hands and wearing a mask. But I'm not a great supporter of the state having unlimited power over the activities of its citizens. And this is what we are seeing in Victoria currently. A few weeks ago, the Legislative Council, with the help of the Reason Party, the Animal Justice Party and the Victorian Greens, allowed the Andrews State Government to extend its emergency powers for another six weeks. It's another six months, my apologies, six months when they could have just extended it for four weeks and then reviewed it every four weeks. Now we're seeing the Victorian State Government once again trying to increase emergency powers. Now the whole concept of crime and punishment is proportionality. We don't cut people's hands off here in this country for stealing and we don't stone adulterers and we don't publicly behead people in the middle of the street. Like 
doing Saudi Arabia. But what we are seeing is the passage of laws which give the police and the armed forces and the st- by the state government legislation almost, well, complete control over a citizen's ability to do anything in Victoria currently. And for the Victorian state government to want to extend these powers to other sections of society like um, public health officers as well as, you know, uh, uh, non-police elements in society is quite worrying. Because what you need to remember is these powers are extended to everyone, not just the Tin Hat Brigade, not not just those people who are concerned uh, regarding... uh, restrictions uh, regarding COVID-19. This is for everybody, every citizen, every person in Victoria, and every gathering, every protest. And what we lack is proportionality in this country, in this uh, in Victoria currently, proportionality. I mean, what is the purpose of monstering people who attempt to gather peacefully to make a point? What is the point of charging people for incitement what is the point of brutally, you know, uh, breaking up uh, these uh, demonstrations? There's no point. It's all about proportionality. And for the Legislative Council to allow the Andrews-led Labor government, what's left of it, to pass this legislation, the Legislative Council, in the next few days, I think is terrible. Horrific. Because there's nothing worse than the unlimited exercise of state power against people. And all we have to do is look at what's happened historically and what's happening around the world today when the state has unlimited power. And if you think we are immune from the excesses of the state use of unlimited power, think again. We have so many things in legislation at the state level and the federal level which would make the glad in the heart of any Chinese Communist Party bureaucrat. Things like detention without trial, things like uh, secret trials, things like not allowing individuals to associate or gather, and, and the list goes on and on and on. So... Obviously, under the cover of COVID-19, we are seeing much draconian legislation passed at the state and federal level, mainly at the state level. Now, this is a great chance for the Animal Justice Party, Victorian Animal Justice Party, Victorian Reason Party and the Victorian Greens to rehabilitate their reputation by blocking this legislation, the Legislative Council. Because if they don't block this legislation, the Legislative Council, basically they are nothing more than appendages of the Victorian Labor Party. And when you consider the Victorian Labor branches, Party branches have been basically closed down by the uh, by the uh, Australian Labor Party because of uh, extensive branch stacking and corruption, which is which the Liberal Party is not immune to. Obviously, the Victorian Liberal Party, you know, plays the same game, and we've seen them play the same game. I think it's important to remember that what we have is just a few people determining what is happening. 
And when we talk about a few people to tell me what is happening, there is nothing more entertaining than listening to the uh, investigation into the hotel security debacle, which I've spoken about on many occasions before. And there's nothing more impressive than watching bureaucrats and politicians and members of the uh, police force, and uh, these are senior bureaucrats, try to wiggle their way out of the decisions that were made. And it looks like in Victoria there's nobody who's actually willing to take responsibility for making that initial decision. Every department, every department head, every former police chief and current police chief is pointing the finger at everybody else. So it's good to see that uh, there's no... It's good to see, it's quite frightening to see that there's... That nobody's wagging the dog's tail or nobody's uh, owning up. But I do recommend you have a listen to what's happening because it is... It is it, considering how devastating that decision was in terms of loss of life and in terms of people going uh, losing their livelihoods, I think it's important that... Uh, when the, uh, the Commission makes up its mind about uh, where the blame lies, that we see some people actually taking responsibility for decisions which were made, which are obviously even uh, even somebody as stupid as me could uh, realise were ridiculous. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. I know you're overall COVID-19 out, so I'm going to move into a different direction for the rest of the program because life has not stopped because of COVID-19. Greenhouse emissions may have decreased temporarily, but the issues of a climate emergency are still there on the agenda. And anybody who saw the federal government's weak attempts to tackle that issue over the last 24 hours would be laughing. That's the great thing about you know, living in this country at the minute. There's a lot of things to laugh about. But really, we should be crying at the inane, ridiculous response to the climate emergency which has been put forward by the federal government. But I want to look at the other side of the coin. I want to look at green capitalism today, because green capitalism is thriving. And I want to look at the, whether green capitalism is the way forward to tackle the issues of a climate emergency. Is it the way forward to tackle the issues of CO2 emissions? Is it the way we need to move? Do we just let the green capitalists, you know, take over the energy market? Or do we need to make other fundamental changes to the way we live? Let's not remember, we, let's not forget we are over 7 billion people on a little planet in the middle of nowhere with finite resources. And it doesn't matter how smart, it are, how smart we think we are, as we've seen with COVID-19 and the, uh, all the effort to uh, find a suitable vaccination, the reality is that we're not that smart and, uh, you know, disasters happen. Now, let's look at what green capitalism is. Well, capitalism is a very simple concept. It's the concept of private investment for private profit. And we're constantly told, let the market decide, let the market decide, let the market decide. It's strange that every time the markets, the capitalist markets, hit a headwind, we're told the taxpayer needs to bail them out. Whether it was a crisis of their own making in 2008, the global financial crisis, or whether it's a crisis which is due to a pandemic, 
or whether it's a crisis due to a natural disaster or civil insurrection, we're told constantly that when capitalist, the market, it has its headwind that it needs taxpayer support in order to survive. So what is green capitalism? Green capital is private investment into technological innovations which increase renewable energy. Basically, that's all it is. It's about people investing in mechanisms by which to reduce greenhouse emissions. And it's two major uh, investment possibilities today as far as green capitalism is concerned is wind power and solar power. And what we've seen over the last few years is the corporatisation of green power. We've just seen a uh, the largest wind uh, wind power uh, company corporation in the world, based in Spain, taking over most of the wind corporation companies in this country for a price of nine hundred million over the last week or so. So, green capitalism at the end of the day is capitalism, but Will it resolve the issue? Will it resolve the issue of a climate emergency? Or is green capitalism just a band-aid which has been applied to the climate emergency? Do we need to make major structural reforms on the planet in order to deal with the climate emergency? And will there be winners and losers? And obviously there will be winners and losers who we need to make structural reforms. And what makes green capitalism such an effective investment vehicle, and that's all it is, is the fact that it can, for a short term, um, put back the problems which are raised by increased CO2 emissions. But it can only do this temporarily. And what we are seeing is the creation of... Uh, centralised, more and more centralised forms of energy, which is a, a real problem when we are faced with the dilemma of energy security, not just in terms of having enough energy to power the world, but having enough energy which is secure from uh, intervention in a hostile situation, a war, etc. So I don't think... That green capitalism is nothing... I don't think green capitalism can resolve the issue of the climate emergency. We need more than private investment for private profit in renewable energy productions, whether it's massive solar farms in the middle of the country or whether it's wind generation. We may be able to put back the genie in the bottle for a, a year or two or even a decade. Throughout all the years with increasing population growth and finite resources, unless we make major structural changes to the way we live and what we consume and how we interact with the natural world, we will not resolve the issue of increasing greenhouse emissions and climate emergency by putting all our eggs in the green capitalist basket. Because the concept of making uh, 
private inv- private profit and private investment is the driving force behind any market. And as we've seen, every time a market uh, faces a headwind, uh, they 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 bail out of the situation and demand taxpayer intervention in order to solve the issue. So what structural reforms do we need to look at at an individual level, a community level, a national level, an international level? I think one of the most important structural reforms we need to look at is the issue of meat consumption and meat production on the planet today. About one-third of greenhouse emissions comes from animals which are reared to be slaughtered for meat consumption. Industrial farming, and that's what we have today in the majority of farms around the country, industrial farming of livestock is a significant contributor to greenhouse emissions. Meat consumption, especially in countries which are developing middle classes, is increasing, and industrial farming of animals is increasing. And Australia is at the centre of the industrial farming of animals for meat consumption. Now, I'd like to point out I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan, and I'm not asking everybody to become a vegetarian or vegan, although obviously there'll be many vegans and vegetarians listening to this program who have made ethical decisions about not eating meat, not just in terms of uh, the harm that is caused to animals, but also in terms of greenhouse emissions. But I think it's important that we change our diets significantly and decrease meat consumption significantly in order to tackle the greenhouse emission crisis. It takes 10 times more energy to produce a kilo of meat than it takes to produce a kilo of grain. And let's not forget the majority of the population gets most of its uh, nutritional resources from grains, not meat. So that's one thing we need to look at seriously is industrial farming practices, uh, slaughtering of animals, the meat consumption as our, one of our major nutritional sources. The second thing we need to look at, because green capitalism is not going to solve the problem of the climate emergency, is the profit-for-profit-sake mentality which drives market forces. We live in a society which is not based on the the satisfaction of real human needs. We live in a society which is based on the satisfaction of manufactured human needs in order to maximise profits. And we do that irrespective of the social, the cultural, the uh, national, the environmental harm we do. And while the world is dominated by an economic philosophy and market forces, which are almost totally deregulated, whose mission whose mission is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, we will not be able to avert the problem of climate emergency, irrespective of how much money is invested by green capitalists to solar farms and wind farms and hydroelectric schemes and the list goes on and on. So we need to make 
major changes as far as our personal lifestyle is concerned and the amount of consumption that each and every one of us is involved in. And what we are seeing with increasing computerisation and the rise and rise of the virtual world is not decreased consumption, but increased consumption, increased energy needs around the world. The third thing we need to look at, which is linked to industrial farming practices as far as animals are concerned, is deforestation and land clearing. It's obvious to everybody, except maybe the presidents of Brazil and Mr Morrison and Mr Trump, that deforestation is a major issue. Obviously, forests are the lungs of the planet. And if we have a human analogy, if you're a heavy smoker, you'll find that your lungs give out after a period, whether it's carcinoma or emphysema or bronchiectasis, or a host of uh, infections, and when you can't get enough oxygen into those lungs, you die. That's the same concept of deforestation and land clearing, especially uh, in Australia where land clearing is going on at an extensive rate and uh, forests are not being replanted. So we need to look at putting resources into forestation, not deforestation, and decrease land clearing. And obviously there are many types of farming which can be uh, subsidised which don't require land clearing. I don't know if you know that 25% of uh, Australia's tomatoes are produced on 25 acres on a hydroponic farm in South Australia. It's that simple. So we can farm things in a different way without needing to cut down more forests and destroy the lungs of the planet. The fourth thing which nobody talks about, what I've talked about, the three things I've talked about as far as uh, marine capitalism is concerned, you know, the need that we need to make major changes, not just put private money into private projects uh, to decrease, to increase, to decrease the CO2 emissions, like uh, increase, decrease consumption of meat, increased forest production and a change in the economic system. But something we don't think about is decentralised energy sources. We live in a complex society, a society which is totally dependent on energy, 100% on energy. 99% of Australians and maybe 90% of the world is totally dependent on energy. So energy production is important. But what we are seeing with green capitalism is the rise and rise of centralised energy sources. In an era of sabotage, in an era of a cyber war, uh, energy security is fundamental to the way we live. And creating major solar farms, which can be taken out, and it's just as stupid as creating, you know, uh, nuclear power stations and, you know, gas-fired power stations and coal-fired power stations where energy production is centralised in a few parts of the country. The beauty of solar energy and wind energy is it is a decentralised energy source. 
And every house, every structure in this country and around the world can be used as a mechanism by which to obtain energy. It may be initially that the type of energy which uh, we uh, obtain is not uh, secure in terms of uh, 24-hour-a-day production, but the fact that it's decentralised means that in an era of uh, increasing natural disasters because of greenhouse emissions, in an era of increasing national... uh, Issues between nation states in an era where uh, everything seems to be computerised and uh, things can be knocked out very quickly and energy sources can be uh, knocked out very quickly. I think it's important that we think about decentralised energy production as the solution to creating a secure energy supply, not in just in terms of getting 24-hour energy, but in terms of having uh, energy which can look after local communities and ensure the survival of small local communities, whether it's urban uh, sources as well as rural and regional sources. So these are the four things I think we need to look at, not just green capitalism. I said before, green capitalism is a Band-Aid. Private investment, private profit, centralising green renewable energy sources is not the way to tackle the climate emergency. It will buy us some time, but we need to make major changes to the way we live. We need to make major changes to how what we eat. We need to make major changes to what we consume and how we produce things. We need to make major changes as far as deforestation and land clearing is concerned. And we need to make major changes in terms of supporting decentralised energy production in, uh, and not centralised energy production. Listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Park Bill 3052. Uh, you can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Instagram, PIBCIAUS. Uh, just go to Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. Uh, you can go to, uh, uh, the list goes on and on. Now, obviously, you can always join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, which uh, supports many of the things which we talk about here on the Anarchist World this week. Go to their website, pipsy.net. I'm uh, the registered officer for Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. It was formed in 2015. We're in the process of gathering 500 members in the Australian electoral role in order to apply for registration as the Federal Political Party. By hopefully by the uh, middle of next year, we currently have 422 members on the federal electoral roll and many other members who are not on the electoral roll for a variety of reasons. So, pipsy.net, pipsy.net, you can download the application form for going to pipsy.net. If you don't have a printer, you can always leave a message with a contact name and return address, uh, email, or um, you know, post office box or whatever. 
0439 or send you on application form. You listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of Community Radio 3CR, because of the stage four lockdowns in Melbourne, which where 3CR is uh, located. This program is a joint effort, myself, outside the studio, the studios of Community Radio 3CR, and the people involved in the Community Radio Network. And that's why you can hear the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station around this country. Don't forget, the program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au and the program is also podcast. Go to 3cr.org.au. There are positives to a pandemic and one positive is that for the first time since the First World War, 1917-1918, we've had a massive drop in immigration. The closure of the borders means that the Australian Ponzi scheme, which is based on increasing population growth, which is based on migration, has been exposed for what it is, a Ponzi scheme. Most of Australia's, you know, so-called economic miracle over the last 30 to 40 years has been based on migration. Not migrations of refugees and asylum seekers, but migration of people who are looking for the promised life. Migration of highly skilled people in a significant portion of the population. So what we've seen is it's migration which pushes the housing market up. It's migration which makes it um, much more difficult for people to uh, live in an urban, an overcrowded urban environment. It's migration that's seen the extension of the suburbs into infinity. So it's an interesting dilemma because this country's economic miracle has been based on getting more people into the country. And for the first time since World War One, over 100 years ago, we have a net fall of migration of over 200,000. Let's not forget the very government which said, we will determine who comes here, who's setting train uh, a, a legislation which has made asylum seekers and refugees basically criminals in this country and has uh, dished out some of the most inhumane punishment to people who've been looking for uh, asylum, was the very government which doubled migration as the Howard government because they understood that in order to maximise profits for their mates in the corporate sector, they needed to do a number of things. The first thing they needed is a constant labour, cheap labour supply. So we have the ridiculous situation in this country that not only do we have high levels of migration and low levels of migration of asylum seekers and refugees, but we also have over 1.5 million temporary workers. The idea of bringing temporary workers into this country to do work that other people could do is totally based on the idea of flooding the country with cheap labour to break the power the trade union movement had in this country in the late 60s and 70s. It's been very effective. There's been a legislative push to basically criminalise uh, trade union activity and basically treat trade unions as uh, criminals. 
and all, all you have to do is look at legislation, especially legislation directed at construction, forestry, uh, maritime, mining, and energy unions, which uh, criminalises their activities uh, in relation to other people. If you have legislation regarding making strikes illegal in this country, and you do this by flooding the country with cheap labour. You've got you've got a source of constant cheap labour, temporary migrant, temporary workers which come to the country. Well, then you can actually decrease the power of the trade union movement. And when you have the trade union movement in such a weak position as we have in Australia today, where it's actually thinking of signing a second accord with the Morrison led government, you begin to understand how weak the trade union movement has become. And that has become, it has become weak, as I said before, because of unlimited migration and flooding the country with temporary workers. Now, what the pandemic has done is decreased migration levels significantly. It's also decreased the number of temporary workers in this country, although many are trapped in the country and get no support from the government and find themselves in exceptionally difficult situations, the number of temporary workers has actually decreased. So what we've seen is the exposure of the population Ponzi scheme, which is based on, which creates an economic miracle by bringing in more people so you make more homes, you create more consumer goods, and it goes on and on. So there is a dilemma. At the same time, we have over 80 thousand people in this country, asylum seekers mainly, who have been waiting for years, in some terms decades, to have determinations made about their refugee status and their ability to achieve permanent residence. Isn't it about time, as the migration levels are basically nil, that we deal with the situation and give these people permanent residence. Because there is one thing which keeps the minds of the uh, ruling classes ticking over is their ability to maximise their profits. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what's going to happen regarding the large number of asylum seekers who are waiting to be processed in this country currently. So if you think that we have we've had an economic miracle because of good management investment opportunities, think again. The economic miracle that has occurred in this country has occurred directly as, the, as a consequence of migration, creating the uh, needs that need to be uh, met as far as uh, housing is concerned, as far as services are concerned, and the list goes on and on. So think about it. It's uh, an interesting situation we find ourselves in, and I think it's time that we actually looked at this situation, maybe resolve the issue of the 80,000 asylum seekers which are waiting for processing in this country. There's an excellent time to resolve that issue and maybe even prop up the ailing construction industry. And talking about propping up the ailing construction industry, I find it extraordinary. And when we have a major housing issue, that most of the debate that happens in this country, 99% of the debate regarding housing construction, is about social housing, not public housing. People forget the difference between social and public housing. Social housing is outsourcing the housing 
responsibility the state has to its citizens, to the private sector, whether it's for profit, whether it's religious-based, whether it's secular. It's, a, it's about outsourcing that responsibility. And we have seen what happens when you outsource that responsibility to the private sector in aged care and to a lesser degree in, uh, and to a lesser degree in child care. I mean, we find ourselves in an extraordinary situation that at the very moment we can we, when we can invest in public housing, that we are investing heavily, investing heavily in private housing in this country. And then again, it highlights the lack of vision, the lack of vision of political leaders in this country who are not working for the interests of the people in Australia. They are working for the interests of that small section of society going for the means of reduction, distribution and exchange. Now you think I'm exaggerating. Look at the impending economic disaster that is facing so many Australians in the next 6 to 12 months. It's interesting to see that the debt collected agencies have increased their advertising in terms of trying to get new customers because we've now reached the end of the job seeker, job keeper, gravy train. In the next few days, the amount of resources which will go into public resources which will go into job seeker and job keeper will decrease. The main reason consumption has not decreased markedly during the last six months has been due to JobKeeper and JobSeeker. As JobKeeper and JobSeeker has allowed people to live a reasonable life. It's a little bit like a universal basic income. As I've said before, one of the central planks of policies, one of the central policy planks of public interest before corporate interest is a universal basic income. As job seeker and job keepers decrease, not only will consumption decrease and uh, the issue of uh, taxation revenue will fall, but what we'll see is many businesses that have been artificially kept afloat will decide to throw in the towel and they will be saddled by debt, extraordinary amounts of debt. And that's why the debt collectors are out there advertising. They're out there advertising that it's, you know, no collection, no fee. They're advertising big time because they can actually see the gravy train, the debt gravy train coming their way. And if anybody thinks this is going to be a U-shaped recovery, which means things go down and they go up, think again, even the stock market... That organisation, which has no link to reality, is beginning to understand that this is a significant issue. The banks are beginning to call in all those people who've deferred their loan repayments. They're getting a little bit worried. The amount of people who are unemployed will not decrease, it will increase. There is... We need to remember that the four major areas of employment in Australia have been markedly affected by the, the uh, pandemic. And these are the 
university sector, high school education. We, Australia, has been one of the great uh, providers of private education to overseas students. It has drawn in tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars into the economy. That sector is beginning to lay off staff and it's going to lay off a significant number of people who will not be able to be re-employed in that sector. Another sector which brings in a lot of money and which employs a lot of people, unlike mining, which brings in a lot of money to a small number of people and employs a fraction of the population, less than, I think, 2.5% into the tourist industry. Tourism is fundamental to Australia's economic uh, survival. And what we are seeing is basically the death of the international tourist industry and the death of the national tourist industry. And irrespective of whether all the borders are open within six to 12 months, the fact is that tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Australians who are involved in providing services to tourists from hotels to uh, car hire, and the list goes on and on, are going to lose their jobs. They've already lost their jobs. And those numbers will increase, not decrease. And all those people need to pay their rent and pay their mortgage and buy food, pay the electricity bill, and the list goes on and on. So we've got the education sector, which is on its knees, which is, was a great employer of people, and uh, it was profitable. We have the tourist sector, which is on its knees, which employed people and which was profitable. Uh, then we have the commercial sector. Although they're still building apartments in the CBDs of cities of this country and they're still building office blocks and office towers, rents have fallen in the Melbourne CBD by 22% in the last three months. Rents in Docklands, which is just outside the Melbourne CBD, have dropped by 13%. Many businesses have realised they don't need huge office complexes where they're paying extraordinary amount of money to landlords and landladies. They don't need that space. The technology allows their staff to work from home. And what we'll see with the uh, pandemic, our long-term consequences is will be the vacation of commercial services, uh, buildings, vac- people vacating shops in, in strip shopping centres as well as the major shopping complexes. Because people are realising that you can do a lot of this work from home, you can cut your costs, you can get a tax deduction from working from home, and the list goes on and on. So this is the third sector which is going to be hit very hard. And again, this sector employs a lot of people, especially in the retail sector, as more and more people get used to the uh, the virtual world, virtual shopping, and the list goes on and on. So there will be extraordinary changes which will mean increasing unemployment in this country, which means that the debt collectors and the, and the companies that wind up companies will be, you know, have more than they can handle on their things. At the same time, we will see more civil insurrection, more civil unrest, because as people
People lose their livelihoods, their inability to meet their debts and keep a roof over their heads. People are becoming more militant. It is no accident that we are seeing more and more legislation put in place which gives police and, to a less degree, the armed forces unlimited power in terms of curbing dissent and protest. If you think this is just directed at the Tin Hat Brigade, think again. This is legislation which can be used, which will be still on the books, which can deal with civil civil unrest regarding high unemployment rates and people not being able to survive in this country. The police have the power there in order, as I said, to stop people associating, stop people from protesting. And as long as the Legislative Council in Victoria and other parliaments around the state continue to pass this draconian legislation and leave it on the books, it is there to be used to curb civil unrest. So we are in a difficult situation. Now, it's very easy for me to cap on about how difficult the situation is and how difficult it's going to become because we haven't seen the real consequences of the economic shutdown. You can't keep in a capitalist society. You can't keep major segments of the economy shut down for six months, irrespective of job keeper, job seeker, and the minuscule compensation which has been paid to businesses. So what do I propose? Or what do we propose? What do people who are thinking outside the box propose? Well, the first thing we've proposed for a long time is a universal basic income. As I said before, being the registered officer of public interest before corporate interest, one of our major political platforms is a universal basic income. And a universal basic income provides protection against the worst excesses of our natural disasters, pandemics, personal issues, you know, our sickness and as we said over and over again on this program, you can fund the universal basic income very easily. And you do that by a 1% stock market turnover tax, which you can raise over $100 billion a year. You can do it by the introduction of a 1% financial transaction tax every time, you know, a, uh, a financial transaction. 1% goes directly to the Treasury. As much uh, economic activity is now on the world wide web and it is it is virtual it is very simple for laws to be passed which ensures that companies which currently pay no taxation or minimal taxation pay tax every time they move a cent very simple and again you can raise over 200 billion dollars in australia this is more than enough to fund a universal basic income now, as far as universal basic income, those people who continue to work, well, obviously, through the taxation system, you can get that universal basic income off them. You close down uh, the whole social security network because you don't people don't need to go through all those hoops in order to qualify. Now, this goes on and on regarding the savings. Another thing we need to look at realistically in this country is our mining sector, our resources sector. Australia is a resource-rich country. Extraction of resources requires minimal labour, but it does require some investment 
And what we've done is we've we've given away, virtually given away, resources in this country to the private sector for uh, peppercorn royalties and minimal taxation revenue. We should be the richest nation on the planet. 25 million people living on this resource-rich planet should have some of the most important social security nets available to protect its citizens, but we don't. And we don't have that because we have, and I blame us, you and me, that's right, I'm not going to blame that 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication. I'm not going to blame the politicians who basically uh, cohabitate with this crowd. I'm going to blame us because we don't live in a dictatorship yet. We live in a liberal democracy, which means that you do have options. Like the people in the United States do have options. They can have Mr. Trump or they get rid of Mr. Trump. They do have an option. And for far too long, too many of us have been incorporated in the capitalist system and believe that there is no other way. Believe there is no other way to deal with the situation. It's all about giving the market its head as if it's some living, breathing entity. It's all about deregulation. It's all about privatisation. It's all about globalisation. It's all about the private sector doing it better. It's all about government getting out of the way of the private sector. The reality is, as soon as the private sector gets into trouble, it screams out for government and taxpayer assistance. So we are to blame. Our neighbours are to blame because we have allowed this ideological claptrap to become gospel, to become our mantra, to become our mission statement. We have allowed this to occur. We do have options. At every election, there are people who put up their hands, who've got a different viewpoint, who've got a different philosophical basis, and at every election, they find themselves on the outer, gathering 1% or 2% of the vote. Because the majority of Australians believe in the great Australian dream. They think if they work hard, They'll be able to acquire that. That's what the migration gravy train is all about, acquiring the great Australian dream. The reality is there's no great Australian dream. And we have allowed this to occur because we are not willing as a people to look at alternatives, maybe because we never hear any alternatives, apart from occasionally on the social media or uh, you know community radio, we don't hear of alternatives. But there are alternatives. There are other ways. There have always been other ways. And we can capture that spirit. And with the increasing ability of people to become victims of the system, and that's what we'll see, more and more victims of the system, not everybody being a winner, because capitalism is about winners and losers. There'll be more and more victims, more and more civil unrest, more and more civil disturbance over the next two to three years. Possibly people will start thinking of alternatives, especially if this current system does not deliver the goods. And it has not been delivering the goods for generations.
And it's time that we woke up. It's time that we realised that we can't rely on our religious leaders. We can't rely on our secular leaders. We can't rely on the corporate corporate sector. We can't rely on the government guild at ABC. And as we've seen, uh, on the government guild at ABC, the removal of the quarter to eight news, which is just extraordinary, but that's another story we may go into next week. But ultimately, we, that's right, you and me, we are the people we've been waiting for. And if we don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. It's time the Gunner tribe was disbanded in Australia. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's time the somebody should do something about this tribe should be incarcerated on Nauru or Manus Island because that type of attitude helps no one. So ultimately, the ball is in your court. Whether change occurs or not is up to you. It's not up to me. I can put forward ideas. You can think, there's the old bloke, put forward all these crazy ideas which will never come to anything because we can't change anything. Or you can think, well, maybe the crazy old bloke's got a few ideas and maybe we can change things. Maybe we can change. We can fight City Hall, irrespective of the draconian legislation which is put in place to curtail our civil liberties. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you're listening to this program uh, somewhere in Australia and you've never listened to it before, I encourage you to listen to it next week. You can... Leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can join public interest before corporate interest by downloading the application form from pipsy.net. That's P-I-B-C-I.net. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 203052. You can email me at age at yahoo.com. YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week, next week, on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.